thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. The word of God. I hope you brought your thinking hat today. I'm going to teach to you this morning out of Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. The Bible says in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, We Need a Great Commitment to the Great Commission. Think about that title as I read it again. We need a great commitment to the Great Commission. Pray with me. God, thank you for giving us this directive, this command, this instruction, this commission, Father. I pray today, Lord, that you would teach us from your word by your spirit, God. Anoint me to say the things that would honor you. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be a lighthouse in this community, to flavor and to brighten this part of Jacksonville for Christ, Lord. We pray for our community, Lord, that you would use us to benefit this community, to show your love, God, for this time now. Lord, I ask you for our children, for our workers in other buildings, God, that you would use them to spread your love to our young people. And I ask you now to be glorified in this teaching hour. In Jesus' name, amen. We need a great commitment to the Great Commission. Abundant Life is a teaching church. And I give you lots of principles and lots of tools to try to understand literature, especially the Bible. I've told you different ways where as you read, you can catch up to some things so you'll understand context. When the Bible says they and them, it's usually talking about what type of person? They and them. They and them. Them on. Those ins. Those outside. Non-believers. When it talks about us and we, it's usually talking to who? So y'all, I messed y'all up because I usually give that to y'all in reverse order. So when I say we need, what type of we do you think I'm talking about? Christians. We as Christians need a much larger commitment to the Great Commission. As Jesus was leaving the earth, here's, here's a basic timeline. Jesus comes, he's born, he lives a perfect life, he dies on a cross, he's buried, third day he rises again, he shows himself alive to many different people over a 40-day period, and then he ascends to heaven and he's there waiting on us. On his last opportunity of getting out, one of the last things he said to his followers was what we call the Great Commission. Now, that word commission can also be synonymous with directive, command, set of instructions. Some people try to use it preachy and call it a co-mission and feel good because we're on a joint mission with Christ. But the reality is this is a command. Say command. This is the great command that Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going away. And this is what you need to spend Your time focusing on. We have got to, listen, if someone was to ask you, why are there even churches in Jacksonville? And listen, less and less people are going to church now, so it's becoming more of a relevant question. As America 
follows its parent world, England, and that crowd of people that came over here and then drug people over here. I've told my kids for years, if you want to see what American culture is going to look like in 10 to 15 years, just look at the culture in England right now. I can remember in 1976 when I went over to England for a summer to visit my father, I saw purple and green hair on the same head. First time ever. That wasn't real popular in, on the west side of Jacksonville in the mid-70s. I saw chains connecting piercing from the top ear to the earlobe to the cheek to the nose. I'd never seen that before, but they, they are progressively ahead of us because they're an older country than us. And so some things follow, some cultural things follow. Well, right now, the church is being decimated all across Europe. Churches are being turned into coffee shops, restaurants, bars, and being bulldozed because less and less people are going to church. In the city where our good friend, Pastor Missionary Bill Schwartz does ministry, and he's preached for us many times, less than 2% of the people in his entire region attend church of any kind. That's not a good thing. And we are seeing less and less people come to church in America, if someone was to say, why do churches even exist at all? Well, we've got to do what God called us to do. And when Jesus was asked what's the biggest commandment, he said to love God and to love people. So that's the great commandment. We'll talk about that at a different time. And we need a great commitment to the great commandment as well. But I want to talk about the great commission. The great commission is what we want to focus on today that we see in today's passage, which is basically to reach the lost and teach the saved. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 18 of our text. Jesus came and told his disciples, comma, always pause on the punctuation. It will help you understand what you're reading better. Don't just gloss through your reading, speed read so you can say you read the whole chapter. Try to get something out of what you're reading. Jesus came and told his disciples. A disciple is someone who follows the teachings of another. A disciple is someone who's committed to the ideology of someone else over and above their own. All church-going people aren't disciples. Some people just come to church, but when push comes to shove, they choose their way over the master's way. See, a disciple is someone who yields to a master. A disciple is someone who accepts authority over their life. And I will tell you this, most people sitting in churches today are not disciples. I've told you many times the root word of disciple is what? Well, that classes out most people already. Discipline? It takes discipline to be a disciple. This is not popular preaching. If I was telling you, God about to come through. Jesus about to give you double for your trouble. If I told you that your miracle was coming, then everybody would get excited and throw money on the altar. Listen, I don't need you to throw money on the altar, but you need to follow the Scripture. You want to throw money on the altar? I ain't going to kick you in the face over it. Hallelujah. Jesus told his disciples, I hope you are or you long to be a disciple. I hope you want to transition from who you are and what you are to someone who can truly say, I am a true disciple of 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a follower. I have set his way above my way. He gives them this final instruction. He said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It's important that we as followers of Jesus Christ recognize, listen, that he's in charge of everything. Say everything. He's in charge of everything. He has authority over everything. I have been given all authority. See, this is one of the places where the politically correct crowd misses it by miles. The politically correct crowd thinks that the church is supposed to be broad-minded, tolerant, and inclusive. The politically correct crowd thinks that Christians are supposed to be this open-minded, lovey-dovey, just-good-for-you-buddy crowd when that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus said, I'm the boss, I'm the way, everybody else is a thief and a liar. Jesus said, I'm the only way into heaven, and anybody who tries to come in any other way is a liar and a thief, and hell will be their portion. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way, he said, I'm the only way. That's not broad-minded. But when you're right, you don't have to be broad-minded. Now, if uh, Brother David and I were talking about fishing, Brother David knows more about fishing than I do. He knows more about what kinds of fish are fish. But So if he said it's a whatever fish, and I thought it was a whenever fish, he's probably right. All right, now because the truth's the truth anyhow. But if we were talking about which one tastes better to me, well, now we can discuss that. He can say, well, I like redfish better. And I can say, well, I like grouper better. And he can say, well, the reason I like redfish is because this and this. And I can say, well, and then we can have a debate back and forth because there is no definitive answer on which fish tastes better to Scott Becker. You don't live in my mind or in my taste buds. But is a red bass a fish? Yes. We don't have to be open-minded about that. We don't don't have to be tolerant about that. Is is your name David? Is that up for discussion? It's no need to discuss. No need to be open-minded. No need to be liberal about it. but, But you look like a Jerome. Your brother, his name's Jerome, see? Well, if I said, but, but I really, I just think, you know, just to make me feel better, just to be kind and sweet and decent and loving and compassionate, you claim Jesus just to protect my feelings so I don't get offended. Can't the whole world just call you Jerome? The, the answer is no. His government name is David. His driver's license says David on it. You know, this world wants us to be, oh, you cannot be open-minded when you have the definitive truth. What fish tastes best? That's speculative. Is it a fish? That's definitive. What religion is the best? That's not speculative at all because Jesus said he was the only way to get to heaven. So I'm not broad-minded about religion. You can tell me that you like a certain fish. You can tell me you like to eat wet, cold fish. Bait. Some people call that what? Yeah, grossy. Sushi. 
And people can say, oh, no, it's good, Pastor. You got to try the California rolls. You got to try the rainbow rolls. You got to try the, 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 the wet, slimy, fishy rolls. No. No. I mean, you can debate that all you want. You can talk about how great wet, squishy bait fish is for eating. Uh, you're not going to convince me of doing that. But I understand that there's breadth of opinion on whether or not sushi is edible or fishable. You be open-minded about that. But the world wants us to be open-minded about who's getting into heaven. And there can be no open-mindedness about that because Jesus already said there's only one way. If Jesus was alive and walking on the planet today, he would be lambasted by the media as a bigot, as a racist, and as a non-tolerant human being. Why? He promoted Jews. He said, I'm here for the Jews first. Does that sound racially open? No, it does not. One woman came to him and asked for his help. He said, I, I came for the Jews. It's not even right for me to waste my time dealing with you. Does that sound racially open to you? It does not. Now, she appealed to his mercy and said even the dogs at the master table beg, beg for crumbs, and his mercy compelled him to help her. But listen, the world wants us to be this tolerant, open-minded, let-everything-go crowd. There are some things that the Bible is definitive about. Can we agree with that? Jesus is in charge. Jesus said he's in charge. It's not like, well, you know, we, we've got to give Jesus. You see these things? They put it up, and I don't care who they are. They all got their own agenda, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, leftists, rightists, whatever you want to call them. Um, they, they all got their own agenda. That's why every time you see them with a bunch of people on stage, they're going to have a Christian minister up there. They're going to have a Buddhist, a Muslim a Jew, they're going to have some of everybody up there. What if some of them just came and stood up and said, oh, by the way, only got one kind of praying person on the altar with us today because we only believe in Christianity, and we know the Bible teaches the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. So we want this dude to pray in Jesus' name, not in Allah's name, because we believe everybody following Allah is going to die and go to hell forever. <gasps> they changed channels on him. Do you know that's what Christians truly believe? Well, Pastor, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that God, a good, loving, gracious, merciful God, ain't going to let everybody go into heaven. Well, you, you need to believe what God said about himself, not what you're making up about God. God knows what he said about himself. And Jesus said, I have all authority, not just here, but in heaven and in earth. The good news is, if you're on the Jesus-only wagon... You're on the right wagon. The good news is, if you are following Jesus as your leader, you've got a true leader. Because everything else is a false god. That's what the word idol literally means. When, when the word in the Bible is used, they followed idols. Idol means no god, not a god at all. Because the only real god there is is Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm large and in charge. I have authority over everything. Well, why is that good news? Because he has given us authority in his name. Now, I don't know if you know this. It's kind of offensive. But if in, in the American setup, do you know if an ambassador from Japan, Croatia, England, 
Afghanistan, Mozambique, Zaire, Botswana, Botswana. If, if an ambassador from a foreign country comes to our city of Jacksonville, runs every red light, does 130 miles an hour through a, through a speed zone, a school zone, and they put, a cop pulls him over, do you know they cannot give him a ticket? You know why? He is an ambassador representing a different monarch, representing a different leader, and he is not subject to our laws. He is here by, by our request. So he can just break any law he wants to. And, and he's not subject to our laws. Now, when I ran the labor pool years ago downtown Jacksonville and started working with homeless people, we had this one guy, and I used to put to work a couple hundred uh, homeless people every day, daily work, daily pay, and we had this one guy. He was crazy as a June bug, but he had a piece of paper in his pocket, handwritten note that said, I am not from this country. I am an ambassador for heaven. You cannot arrest me. Dude had been arrested over 100 times. He's suing the state of Florida, the police department of Jacksonville, and he thought because you know, well, that's not a real ambassador. All right? He was a fake ambassador. But people who are ambassadors are not subject to the laws of our country. Why? Because they serve somebody with more authority over them than the state of Florida could ever have over them. Jesus is saying, because I have all authority and you are my ambassador, you walk in my authority. You need to understand there's power in the name of Jesus. And if you walk in the name of Jesus, that you have that power. Jesus said in verse 19, therefore, comma. Anytime you read the word therefore or wherefore in the scripture, you need to back up to the previous verse and see what it's there for. Therefore means because of what I just said. Well, what did he just say? I'm large and in charge. I've got all the power. I've got all the authority. I'm the biggest trump card in the deck. Nobody is bigger than me. Because of that, Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. You don't have to fear spreading the name of Jesus. You don't have to fear what other nations can do to you. You don't have to be nervous about how it's going to go down because Jesus is the one who is in charge. It's like being in the military. If you're walking around in the military and you're wearing E5 on your collar and you stumble into some E7's building and he says, Hey, Corporal or, or Sergeant, what are you doing? Get out of my building. And he says, Oh, well... Uh, Colonel told me to come over here and get AR-670-1 off the AG shelf. You think he's still going to throw you out of the building or let you do what the Colonel said? going to let you do what the Colonel said because when you're outranked, you're out-trumped. And if somebody's operating in the rank of another, you leave them alone unless you outrank them. I want you to understand if you don't get anything else today, no one outranks Jesus. So when Jesus said, go into your school and preach Jesus, well, we can't talk about Jesus in Clay County. Yes, you can. When, when Jesus said, go into your workplace and talk about Jesus, you can't say, well, we can't, we can't talk about Jesus in Duval. Now, let me say this to balance you out. If you're the worst employee in your whole section, because all you do is evangelize, unless they hired you to evangelize, do your job. The better you do your job, the more people are going to listen to what you believe about religion. But Jesus said, because I'm in charge, then he gives some commands. He says, go. Say, go. Christianity is not about sitting. Christianity is about doing. 
Christianity is not about just learning. Christianity is about going. Say go. Go and do some stuff. And here's the stuff he said. Make disciples of all the nations. Well, that puts in trouble every racist in the world. That puts in trouble every racist and every prejudiced person in the world that would choose to only want to talk to their own people. Well, I like my people. Well, I want you to really figure out before you die who your people are. Because I hear it all the time. I hear people say, well, you know, another one of us got shot down on the north side. Drug deal went bad. Another young black man, another one of us got cut down. Uh, do you really know Willis Franklin? Related to you in any capacity? He's one of us because he's one of us. Okay, then you read um, Hispanic woman dies in car wreck on way to carrying food to minister to homeless people in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you feel another one of us died too early? See how quiet people get, Deacon West? They get, we have weapons in here, y'all. We got guns and, and security. People worry and get all nervous when I start talking about tense issues. Listen, my people are not just west side of Jacksonville people with the same type of melanin. The Bible says we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. My people are the people who love Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you figure out who my people is to you. But Jesus said, you got to make disciples out of all nations. So listen, prejudice, sir, ma'am, if you feel like you only want to see white people in church, you only want to see white people in heaven, you, only, you want to live in an all-white, subsetted world, where, where the, listen, you're not following Jesus. And the same rolls down for Asians, Dominicans, Latinos, Hispanics. We just say Hispanics, now they broaden everything. White Hispanics, non-white Hispanics, Hispanics in half. And we can roll all that out. Y'all know why they did that, don't you? Anybody know this is going to be a quick lesson. You ain't going to agree with me, but I know the truth. You know why they classed out Hispanics so big? Because they hate black folk. They put all Hispanics because now Hispanics are 14% of the country. If you lump them all together, ask somebody from Dominican Republic, are they the same kind of Hispanic as somebody from Spain? Ask a Cuban if they feel like they're the same kind of Hispanic as a Mexican. Ask a Mexican, are they on the same level with a Colombian? You add them all together, it's just, hey, that's just free information for you right there. Think about it. It, it had, had to get a number bigger than 12.9. Why? Because what's 12.9? That's what that is. So you add up everybody else till you get to 14, and you're like, Largest minority in America. Brown, off brown, half brown, black, dark. I mean, David Ortiz, Hispanic. Anybody ever seen Big Poppy? Big Poppy, darker than you, brother David. Hispanic. Let me keep moving. All nations. Say all nations. Red, yellow, black, and white. There is a problem in America where people have a us mentality and when they say us they're not thinking about the children of God and that's why the church is weak politically that's why the church is weak economically that's why the church is weak culturally because you got all these fractured versions of the church instead of all nations coming together being that one church that the Bible says 
We're one church, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And we've been commanded to go to everybody and make disciples out of every nation of people. Not only are we commanded to make disciples, but we're commanded to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get into the doctrinal differences. There are people out there that believe you need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. People need, believe you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. Listen, we've got to reach the lost and we've got to teach them how to follow Jesus. But because Jesus has the authority and we're commanded us to go in his name, listen, it's his authority that send us out. It's his authority that guides us. It's his authority that empowers us. It's his work and his message that's going to continue through this world by his disciples. I've had people tell me, well, if Jesus is really the only way, why didn't he just write in a big sharpie up in the clouds, follow Jesus, he's the only way. He could. He really could. But he chose us to represent him, to be his hands and feet to the world. He chose us to represent him, to take his message to the world, to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. We're sent out to do this work in his authority. That ought to give you some confidence. In the scenario I painted for you just a few moments ago, because I was in the army. And if I'm in the army walking in some building that I'm not normally supposed to be in, but my commanding officer has told me to be in there, I don't care who tells me why are you in my building. I've got the trump card on him. I'm here because the general said be here. A colonel told me to come over here. Take it up. With, with, with LT. Take it up. It, hey, I'm operating in someone else's authority. You ought to have a certain amount of confidence in your Christianity if you understand Jesus is bigger than America. Jesus is bigger than race. Jesus is bigger than politics. Jesus is bigger than governments. Jesus is bigger than ideology and opinion. And he has commanded us to go. We're sent out to do this work in his authority. And we need to figure out what the work is. Because if I told you, go do the work that will make God happy. Well, if you don't know what work makes God happy, then I haven't prepared you properly. And the Bible says it's my job to equip you, to train you to go out and do the work of ministry. So I want us to know based on this great commission exactly what this work is. And I'm going to give it to you in just a few words. Conversion, baptism, and teaching. Conversion, that's winning people to Christ. How do you win somebody to Christ? You tell them your story. You say, well, I don't have to give them 100 scriptures. You don't have to give them any scriptures. Well, I don't have to know the Romans road to salvation. I don't have to know the evangelism explosion methodology for winning. No, you don't have to know any of all that. All you have to do is have a personal testimony. If you can tell people, look, I used to be this way. But then I asked God to save me, and now I'm that way. If there was a this way and a that way, that's called a change. And if you can show somebody a change in your life, you've got a testimony, and that will mo and God will do the rest. I've had people tell me, well, Pastor Scott, I was, I was witnessing to my sister because I want her to become a Christian, but I, you know, I don't really know all the scriptures. I don't know the salvation scriptures. I'm not sure if I said the right thing. You can't mess up witnessing to somebody. 
You can't say the wrong scripture. You can't lead the wrong prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord, the Bible says. Salvation is a work of God. If you just open your mouth with a desire to bring somebody to a soul-changing, life-changing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, God will do the rest. We need to be concerned with conversion. I love the way it happened in my life, and I wish it would happen this way in everyone's life. And I'm praying for you if you're serious about your family. When I got saved, I got saved in a bedroom by myself looking at a little red Bible, nobody else around. I 3.45 in the morning on July 15, 1981. I came in from a party. I saw a little red Bible. God drew me to it. I read it. I fell on the ground and weeping and called out to God to save me. God saved me. No aisle to walk, no prayer to pray, no organ grinding. I just asked God to save me, and he saved me. I started living a converted life. My sister saw the change in me. She prayed to get saved. She started living a converted life. My mother saw the change in us. My mother got saved. My, we all started living a converted life. My brother saw the change in us, and he got saved. And we lived out the scripture. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and all your house. And I want to see all your house get saved. I want to see every child, every grandchild, every nephew, cousin, auntie, brother, sister, on your fifth cousin's twice removed side saved. We got to be concerned with conversion. This is the work of the Lord. He sent us out to go and do this work. Part of the work is conversion. Another part of the work is baptism. Now, you can say, well, Pastor, can't I baptize somebody in the ditch? Uh, yeah, I mean, we got clean water up here, though. <laughs> Pastor, what type, of do, what type of documentation do I have to have to baptize someone? Do I have to be uh, trained, licensed, ordained? Do I have to be missional? Do I have to be interpretive? Do I have to be prophetic? Do I have to have a degree? Do I have, listen, you want to baptize somebody, baptize somebody. But if you want them to be able to celebrate in front of a witness full of God's people, bring them to the church and let us celebrate with them in baptism and make it memorable in their lifetime. But the the process, the work is conversion, then baptism, then teaching. We break it down for ease of memory to say it in two different ways. Reach and teach. You want to know what God has churches on these corners to do? Reach and teach. You want to know why Abundant Life is here on Georgetown Drive? To reach and teach. You want to know why God hasn't come back and transitioned this world into the next frame prophetically yet? Because there's still more people to reach and teach. We got to reach them with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, and we got to teach them all things that he has commanded us. We reach them, I said, with the gospel. Say gospel. Now, the gospel, and it's funny because, you know, we have what's called gospel television. Gospel programming, gospel radio station, gospel books. Well, gospel means one very specific thing. Literally interpreted, the word gospel literally means good news. But it's not just talking about random good news. It's talking about the good news that brings salvation. So if you say, I was listening to some gospel preaching this morning, and the guy was teaching five keys to be a better parent, That's not gospel preaching. That's just good preaching. Do you see the difference? If you say, Pastor, I was listening to a gospel song this morning, and if it was encouraging you to pray, 
But it didn't have anything to do with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's just a good song. It's not a gospel song. Pastor, I just love black gospel music. Well, you, uh, I get that. Some of the greatest songs I enjoy listening to would be classified as black gospel music, but it's black Christian music primarily unless it's singing specifically about the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gospel is a very definable small entity inside the Bible. Listen to what God said about gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As the Apostle Paul was talking to Christians at Corinth, he said, Moreover, brethren, so he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ, he said, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, he's not, he's not talking about five keys to being a better parent. He's not talking about going to take back what he stole from me. He's not talking about getting double for his trouble. He's about to tell them, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received and wherein you stand by which also you are saved. We're saved by the gospel. We stand by the gospel. We preach the gospel. He says, if you keep in memory what I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, see, what he's saying, and people get all weary, and they're like, well, I believe the gospel. And says, I'm saved unless I believed in vain. What if I believed in vain? Well, did you believe the gospel with just your head, or did you embrace the gospel with everything you are? Different time, message for a different time. Let's get to the point. He said in verse 13, verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. He said, I told it to you the way I received it. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Here's what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. If I say I preached a gospel message on Sunday morning, and I'm preaching about money, I preached a biblical message about money. If I say I preached a gospel message uh, about holiness, I preached a biblical message about holiness. If I preached a gospel message about anything, it has to be about the gospel. Does that much make sense to you? That's, that's like me saying, I preached a racist message this morning about how to make a tuna fish sandwich. No, that's a culinary message. If you say you did anything gospel, gospel is DBR. Say DBR. Say DBR. Now tell me, what. figure out what DBR means. Now say DBR. Now you know the gospel. The gospel is DBR. The gospel is only DBR. Every time the Bible says gospel, it's DBR. It's only DBR. Other things are biblical. Other things are right. Other things are sound doctrine. But the gospel is always DBR. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the only message that will bring conversion. People going out saying, you know, if you come to Jesus, your marriage will get better. No proof in that. If you come to Jesus, your child won't have cancer anymore. No proof in that. If you come to Jesus, your boss will be nicer to you. No proof in that. If you come to Jesus, you, you'll live a long and a happy life. All the disciples died young and in pain except John. So no proof in that. But if you come to Jesus and you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you can know that one day you can, be, you can die, get buried, and be raised from the dead too. That's what makes sense to the gospel. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. You make the disciples by telling them the good news of the death, burial, 
and resurrection of Christ. So we lead people to Christ, and then we bring them to church to get baptized, and then we teach them. Do you realize in the early century and in the first 1,500-plus years of the world after Christ, nobody was asking lost folk to come to church. They actually were keeping them out. We live in a different day and time where we turn church services into evangelism rallies. Now, if you're here and you're unsaved, you're welcome to be here. And I hope you stick around long enough till you get true conversion. But I'm talking about the history of the church. The church was never designed. See, we tell people now that the church is a hospital for sick sinners. Well, the church is a hospital for people who used to be sick sinners that got saved and now are following Jesus Christ. See, here's the method that existed until the last 150 years throughout the church's history. People would win mom and daddy, brother and sister, uh, son and daughter to Christ in the homes, in the street, in the community, in the marketplace. They would bring them to church, let them make their public profession in Christ, and then they would be able to sing that song, I'm just glad to be in the number. Because you're not in the number until you're saved. Y'all don't remember in the number? When the saints go marching in, get some good singing in your background. Load your iPod with something that's older than 10 years. But people would get saved in the marketplace, and they would come grow in the church place. In the Old Testament, they didn't let anybody even come to their church that wasn't already a Jew. I told y'all, they had gate checkers. They made men lift their robe up and prove they were circumcised. Thank God we ain't doing that today. You don't want them laughing at you telling stories about you listen now our churches are filled up with lost people not a bad thing but it can be it can create some negative consequences because do you think that people who are truly saved and in love with Jesus have a different desire for what type service they want to have than people who don't love God at all and aren't even converted it's a different type of music they want. There's a different type of preaching they want. There's, do you think that people who are truly saved, in love with Jesus, put God first, disciples all the way, do you think they care if church gets out right at 12 on the dot or if they're just like, preach, Reverend, we're here for God? Back in the old days, in real America, you, so, and some of y'all, there's still some churches like this, and I thank God for them. When I first got saved, I got saved. I started going to a white church. I left. I had to drive home past the church. We'd get out at 12 on the money 12th. We would go to Sonny's on Lane Avenue, be out of there by whenever, 1.30, you know, long-winded folk talking. I would come driving home up Old Middleburg Road, come up over the overpass, and there was a little church off the corner, and it didn't matter if I got out by there at 1.30, 2, 2.30, or 3. So you know what I started doing? I started pulling in. I started pulling in. Now, I, this is where I finally learned what it's like to be the only one. Now, some of y'all got the advantage because you've been the only one. I've never been the only one. I get in there at 1 o'clock. They're still singing. Preacher ain't even walked in the building yet. They're doing this in the parking lot. Oh, he's coming. And they would have church from 11 to 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 
People aren't looking at their watches talking about, well, we got to go. The game is. No, they were there until it was over. Because Christian people have a different mindset about what church is supposed to be like. And that's why church has changed so much in this generation. And especially, listen, churches that are growing, and I've been to these seminars. Listen, listen to what they say for churches that are growing. You'll see how bad we'll miss it. Get a small target audience where you know exactly who you're going after. The race of people, the age of people, the social background of people. Target them so everybody comes in and sees people that look just like them. You think we're going for that? No, but there are churches. You walk into some of these churches and you're like, man, everybody in here is between 25 and 40. This is the best looking group of people I've ever seen in my life. Where do they get these people off magazine covers? And I heard about a church in one of the, it, literally the fastest growing church in this community asked one of the better singers on their worship team uh, to step down because you don't really fit our look. Mm. This is a fact. This is a documentable fact. And these churches are growing by leaps and bounds. Why? Because they have the cookie cutter mentality. Always start exactly on time. Why? Because move or shake or upwardly mobile people, they want to get in and get out. Offer four or five different church starting times so everybody can be accommodated on their schedule so the surfer crowd can go to church at 8 o'clock in the morning and, 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 and still hit the waves. Offer church late, you know, have four or five different services so, you know, the, the Saturday night getting their groove on crowd can sleep in and wear that headache off and still get church. So what we've become is an accommodating group of beggars fashioning our services to what most meets people's needs. You know, if you've been in church for a while, we had church mothers. You didn't sit up straight in church. You were getting smacked. Talk in church. See how that worked out for you. Pop gum in church. See how that worked out for you. Pass a note in church. See how that worked out for you. Now, the churches that are growing the fastest and the largest in America have coffee stations in the sanctuary with signs that say, please feel free to get up at any point in our service and refill your coffee. I believe that God is real and that people need to hear God. Don't be standing up walking around distracting the service off of God and drawing attention to you spilling coffee on yourself. I'm not upset that unsaved people come to church. I want unsaved people to come to Abundant Life so they can get saved. But the primary purpose of having church is so the saints can gather together and learn more about God. Because lost people can't worship God. Lost people don't understand our praise. The Bible says that the natural man doesn't understand anything written in this book. It's foolishness to him, and he can't understand it. That's why lost people come to church like, I don't get it. I don't get it. You can't be a square peg trying to get into a round hole. Get rounded up and then come fit. If you're lost, fine. Get saved, and this doesn't make sense to you. But church, biblically, is designed for saved people. Anybody not having church for saved people is having an evangelistic rally. 
Because the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means a specific group of people called out of their homes into an important meeting place in a central location for a very important purpose. That's what the church is. That's why you got a starting time with no ending time. It's an important meeting. But we are commanded by God to go. Where do we go? You don't have to go to West Africa to win people to Christ. You can go to the west side of Jacksonville to win people to Christ. You can go to the Winn-Dixie to win people to Christ. You can go to the Walmart to win people to Christ. You can go to the ballpark to win people to Christ. Listen, most of us can find somebody in our own home to win to Christ. So we we win people to Christ. We reach them for Christ with the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection. Then we bring them to church. Because the Bible says that if you confess Jesus in front of people, he'll confess you to the Father on Judgment Day. So we bring people to come to church, make their public profession in Christ, and to be baptized. Then in verse 20, he finishes off this command by saying, Teach these new disciples... To obey all the commands I have given you. See, you just can't get conversion and baptism, which is where a lot of people stopped. A lot of people in this room truly saved, been scripturally baptized. But you didn't move forward into being taught. The command is to teach these new people to obey all the commands I have given you. How many of the commands are we supposed to teach? That's a lot. We better get busy. We got work to do. See, and this is why some churches grow faster than other churches. You start talking to people about work to do. You start talking to people about living holy, not being a racist. You start talking, telling rich people that you got to love poor people, white people. You got to love black people. You start telling people it's all together. Everybody don't want that stuff. That's why these homogenous churches are outpacing uh, other churches in growth. But we have got to teach new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Do you realize the word new here? See, if I ask how many people are new to abundant life, you might have a question in your mind. Well, I don't know if I'm really new. I'm like, not like new, new. I mean, I'm kind of new, but I'm not new, 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 new. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm kind of, if I'm new, what does he mean? How, how new is new? Well, everybody's been in abundant life for less than 16 years because we've only been around for 15. So we're a new church. If you contrast this uh, to my friend Pastor Gene Dillon's church, is 200 years old. Now, he can't ask anybody who's been here since the beginning of the church, you know, except the dust in the corner. That's all that's been there. But new is a relative term, and compared to how much we have to learn, we're all still new at this. Compared to how huge God is, we're all still new at this. So there, there's nobody off the hook. You can't say, well, I'm not a new disciple, so I don't have to learn anything anymore. That just shows how undiscipled you really are. Jesus commands us to teach these new disciples to obey all, all the commands I have given you. Here, here's the reality. We can't teach what we don't know. We have been commanded, not just pastors. Not just Christian leaders. Everyone who claims the name of Christ have been called to go out and make disciples and teach people. To reach people and teach people. Can't teach people what you don't know. Now, there are people in this room that could teach me how to flush my radiator. And then there are other people in this room that could not. Because you can't teach what you don't know. 
You can make a stab at it. You can say, well, I'll watch a, you, you can say, oh, I'll teach you how to do that, Pastor, and then go quickly try to pull up some YouTube video and act like you know what you're doing and then come try to teach me. But real teaching needs to be done by people who know what they're talking about. And that's why it's important for us to study the Bible, not just pastors. Pastors are a gift, according to Ephesians chapter 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are a gift to the church to help bring us into more understanding, okay? So it's a blessing to have pastors in your life, but we all are commanded to learn things so we can teach things. That's why we need to study the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You got to work at understanding the Bible because this last phrase is where the majority of even pastors mess it up. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you think Genesis and Revelation are in the same Bible? Do like this. Do you think Lamentations and Ezekiel are in the same Bible? Do like this. I could have said Hezekiah and thrown y'all. That ain't in the Bible. But listen, it all works together. It all works together. It's like a giant puzzle. Now, I don't like puzzles that have more than four pieces. I'm out. You show me a puzzle with 700 pieces, I'll show you somebody with time on their hands. You show me a 4,000-piece puzzle. Anybody ever put together a puzzle over 1,000 pieces? 2,000? Whoo! Vicki, you're a puzzle-making woman. Listen, if you are going to put together a puzzle with more than four pieces, do you know what pieces you look for first? The corners and the edge pieces. Why? Because everything's going to fit inside that, right? Same way with the Bible. Everything in the Bible fits inside together. It links together. And you have to learn how to rightly divide it. When you sit down to understand a puzzle, you take somebody like me, I'm just looking at the box. I'm not moving beyond that. I don't even have to dump them out because I'm like, look at all that green. Big sea of green right there. All that green, there's no way in the world I know which one of All that blue, it's all the same. Somebody who is diligent that really wants to put the puzzle together, they put the whole thing out on a table, and they start separating it correctly. And there's a method to the madness. And all the Bible has to fit together properly. And so many people that don't know the Scripture twist the Scripture for their own truth. They don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. So they just take a little piece here and a little piece there. And the next thing you know, your whole mind and theology is poisoned. That's why it's important that you believe the man or woman of God that you're listening to knows what they're teaching. Because the Bible says if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. Listen to what the Word says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You realize people that don't like correction don't really like the Bible? People that don't want to change and be holy, they don't like the Bible. Why? Because it exposes the falseness in their life. And it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us how to do right. Verse 17 says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If you want to be prepared to do what God has called you to do, you got to start studying this book. We can't reach and teach people unless we are reached and taught. Have you been reached? Have you been taught? 
You need to be sure that you are reached from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And you need to make sure that you continue to be taught all the days of your life. Because the word disciple means learner. Someone who is actively learning the precepts of another. we got to have some basic understanding of where to find what we're looking for as we study the Bible. Let me, let me just throw this out at you for all, all the book, bookworms and, and super smart people. How, how many books in the New Testament? 27. Say 27. I'll give you a harder question. How many authors did God use to write the New Testament? Eight. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's easy. I give it to you in an easy way you can understand, remember it. Everybody knows Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Two P's and two J's. Anybody figure out who the two P's are? James and Jude. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James and Jude. That's the eight people that God chose to use to write the New Testament. 27 books written by eight people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James, and Jude. Now, there's three divisions in the New Testament. I'm just giving you some Bible knowledge real quick because I'm going to take you somewhere. Three divisions in the New Testament. The historical books, uh, they're, they're also called the story. The epistles that are also called the sermons. And the prophecy that's also called the future. So you got the four gospels and the book of Acts that are his, the historical books. They give you the history of the church and of Jesus Christ. Four gospels. First five books of the Bible teach us the history. The next 21 books of the New Testament teach us the sermons, the stories, or what some people call the mystery. Just because it rhymes with what? History. So the first five books teach the history. The second 21 books teach the mystery. And the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, no S in that word anywhere, teaches the prophecy or the scene of the future. So you've got these three major divisions inside the New Testament. You've got the history, the mystery, and the prophecy. All right? And I want us to take a walk through the Gospels over the next couple of weeks. Because the Gospels teach us about the life of Jesus Christ. So for anybody wondering what the book of the month is going to be for September, it's going to be the first book that you come to in the New Testament, which is what? The book of Matthew. We're going to look at the book of Matthew in September as we talk about the Gospels over the next few weeks. I want us to real quick uh, look at some facts about the four Gospels. How many men did God use to write these four Gospels? Just the four Gospels. Four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and who? All right, we're on page. Four men used to write these four Gospels. Now, Abundant Life believes in old school theology. We are an orthodox theological church. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scripture. That is a wordy title, which means we believe in the verbal inspiration, that God spoke the words. We believe in the plenary inspiration, which means not just some of the words, but all of the words. Okay, we don't believe that Matthew just sat down and decided, let me throw my twist on it. We believe God told Matthew what to write, but allowed for some of Matthew's personality into it because God's just that big and God is just that capable. God told them what to write, but he did it supernaturally and he allowed them to use some of their own personality so the message would reach a broad crowd. Listen to what the Bible says about people who spoke or wrote for God in 2 Peter 1.20. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. He didn't just decide what he wanted to write and write it down. 
or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, if I tell Elder Robin to take out a pen and jot something down for me, don't do it right now, it's just an illustration. But if I told him to take out a pen and jot something down for me, and I said, write down um, tonight's service, we're going to sing six songs. And he writes down tonight's service, we're going to sing six songs, and he lets you read that. Who actually wrote it? He did. But whose words are they? Mine. That's how we got Scripture. God moved on holy men, and they wrote what he told them to write, but whose words are they? God's. Make sure you understand this, because liars will tell you that the Bible's just a bunch of sayings that men wrote down. Men were the pen, but God was the voice. Always remember that. Men were the pen, but God was the voice. Now, I want to talk to you real quick, and I'm going to get you out of here in just a minute, about the Gospels. The Gospel means good news. For it to be gospel, it has to be what three letters? Who remembers? DBR. Say DBR. Death, burial, and resurrection. It, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts, same story told by four different men. Addressing, listen, four different groups of people with four different areas of emphasis and four different styles of writing. I'm going to show that to you. See, it's like this. If I let Lauren stand up here and give her testimony, and then I ask, Four different people to give a report on what they heard. And do you think they might focus on some different areas? Some might note that it was a woman that spoke. Some might note that it was a woman chewing gum that spoke. Some might note that it was a woman that talked about her son that spoke. Some might note she was long-winded, she was funny. Some might note different things about her, but they'd be telling the same story. Because as you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find out it's the same story, but there's different areas of emphasis on it as each person tells the truth about the same event from their perspective. Listen to the truth about the gospel writers. Each writer paints a different portrait of Jesus. Did you get these in block form for me, Kari? And Matthew portrays Christ as the promised king. See, the, the, these are the, the, the different portraits. These are the images that they painted. Matthew portrays Christ as the promised king. Mark portrays Christ as the servant of God. Luke portrays Christ as the perfect man. And John portrays Christ as the son of God. And as you read each gospel, if you remember, okay, well, remember, Matthew is a knowledgeable Hebrew. And his slant, his lean... His paradigm is to the Jew. His paradigm is to talk about Christ as the promised king who is coming. So that's the portrait he paints. Mark paints a portrait of the servant. Luke paints a portrait of the perfect man. And John paints a portrait of Christ as the son of God. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is yes to every question. Is Jesus Christ the promised king of the Old Testament? Is Jesus Christ the servant of God? Is Jesus Christ the perfect man? Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? So they're all telling the truth. Each writer of the four writers in the gospel had a different style. We could stand up here and say the very same thing. Now, I don't know who the most educated person in the room is, but if we went, you know, up the street and got one of those preachers, today we will be investigating the claims of Christ. 
as seen through his second gospel, that of the gospel writer of Mark. If I said, hey, we're going to check out the gospel of Mark, we said the same thing. We just said it with different styles. Do you understand what I'm saying? All the gospel writers saying the same thing. They just have a little different style. They have a little different way of expressing themselves. Each different writer had a different style of writing. Matthew writes like a teacher because he's an educated person. Mark writes like he's a preacher because he's a fireball. Luke writes like a historian because he's a doctor that loves history and facts. John writes like a theologian because he knew more about Jesus than anyone else. So this is the, this is the style that they wrote. So you, if you really ever did a study of the Gospels, the four Gospels, you would find one Gospel that linked to you. You're like, man, I love all the Bible, but I just dig this Gospel hard. See, everybody that's not Jewish should have a, a proclivity to Luke because Luke is the only person that God ever used to write any portion of the Bible that wasn't a Jew. So all us non-Jews would be like, I'm down for that. Let one of us write something. Let, it, let, it, let, let, let a non-Jew write something. Every woman who reads the Gospels would probably, if they really read closely, be drawn to the Gospel of Luke. Because the Gospel of Luke is the only writer that puts in facts and promotes women. More facts about women in the Gospel of Luke than it. So all you feminists, hey, it's okay to be feminine, but don't be a feminazi. Different message for a different crowd. Everybody who really likes action, like, man, I like it short and sweet. I like it quick moving. Shortest of the four Gospels, Mark, all about action. Why? Because that's what he was about. He was a fireball. So if you're, if you're a thriller guy, if you're a, a man who likes movies for men, then you probably are going to like the Gospel of Mark. You can get it all in in 14 chapters and it's high points and it's action. If you are someone who just really loves studying and the deep truths about God's Word, then you're going to like John because John is the most theological of all four Gospels. They're all telling the same story, but they're telling it with a different lean. Each writer not only had a different portrait, had a different style, each writer had a different emphasis. Matthew's emphasis was on Jesus' sermons. Matthew records the most of Jesus' sermons out of all the Gospels. Mark's emphasis was on Jesus' miracles. See, Matthew records the sermons because Jesus was always quoting Old Testament in his sermon, and Matthew was a Jew that loved the Old Testament. So he's like, man, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about the sermons he preached because I'm down with that. I told you, Mark was an action dude. He, he was, uh, uh, you know, he was the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the group, and so he liked the miracles. He wanted to see the explosions. He wanted to see the pop and the bang. He was a special effects guy. See, this is going to appeal to some of your personality. Mark's emphasis was on Jesus' miracles. Luke's emphasis was on Jesus' parables. Why? Because Luke was the smartest one of the four. He was a physician. He, he loved the grammatical beauty of the teaching that he found in the parables. And he loved the fact that he could use his brain to figure them out. You might be like that. John's emphasis was on Jesus' doctrines. Why? Because John knew more about Jesus and he loved theology. Each writer wrote to a different culture. 
of people. Matthew wrote to the Jews. If you haven't figured it out already, I'm going to tell you again. Matthew was a Jew that loved the Old Testament. Matthew has more Old Testament quotes in his one gospel than all the other three gospels combined. Old Testament heavy in Matthew. And he wrote to the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans. Why Mark wrote to the Romans? That's who he associated with. Barbarians, hardcore soldiers, strap it on, give me a helmet and a spear. Luke wrote to the Greeks. What do the Greeks do? Greeks love intellect. Luke is a physician. He loves his mind. Greeks love things in the mind. So God takes this Luke and he uses them to take his story to the Greeks. And John had so much things to say in depth, he wrote to everybody. Because John is the theologically rich gospel of all four. Each writer had a different theme. Matthew's theme is that Jesus is the Messiah predicted by the Old Testament prophecy. Somebody please tell the rest of the crowd why Matthew's theme was that Jesus was the Messiah predicted by Old Testament prophecy. Because he's a Jew. And he loves what? The Old Testament. So that this is his theme. This is what he made his book about. He, he talked about Jesus being the predicted Messiah so he could go tell all his Jewish friends, all them scriptures you got, the, that the Christ would be born of a virgin. The, that's Jesus. All the scriptures you got, that's Mark's theme is that Jesus backed up his words with what? Somebody tell everybody wasn't listening why Mark wrote like that. Because he's a fireball. He's about that action. He, 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 that's what he liked. Luke's theme is compassion and humanity. Somebody tell people that wasn't listening. Why is Luke's theme compassion and humanity? Because he's a doctor. That's his personality. He's a compassionate soul. Cared about the details. John's theme is the deity of Christ. John's theme is the high theology theme, and that's why he chose to make his theme about the deity of Christ. Each one of these Gospels is telling the same story, but God allows the writer some what of their personality to create a broad story that will appeal to every type of person on the planet. Now, as we continue to study God's Word, and I'm going to cut this off here, and I'm going to end weird today, but I want to encourage you to dig in. Say, dig in. This book is a gold mine of treasure. And God wants you to read this word, not just so you can learn facts and information, but so you can learn about him. God wants you to learn more about him because he's commanded you to get converted. And he's commanded you after you get converted to teach people everything you know about Jesus. Everybody needs to be teaching someone. What little you know, teach somebody about it. We need to dig in. We need to not, not just to learn the facts, but to learn about God. We don't need to just learn stuff. When we approach reading this book, we need to be listening for our Father to talk to us and then obeying Him. The story about uh, the wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. The foolish man built his house on the what? Listen to it. It's Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. The rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds house on sand. When the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So, two houses built. One built on what? Another one built on what? 
One stands, the other one falls. Hear the difference. In verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Verse 26, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't follow it is foolishness. Do you know some of you hearing me, but you're not listening to me? You can hear Bible all day long, but you got to listen to it. You can listen to Bible, which is better than just hearing it, without following it. It's not, see, this is why so many people fail in ministry. This is why so many people fail in life. And this is why so many people fail inside the church. Because they've heard Bible, but they didn't obey it. When you hear it and you obey it, God calls you wise because you're building your life on a solid rock. So the difference is not whether or not somebody heard the Bible, because both these jokers heard the Bible. One obeyed it and one didn't. So one lasted and the other didn't last. That's why I tell you like Reverend Ike, I can't lose with what I use. Because we're building this house on solid rock. We're building this house on Bible. We're not just building this house on Bible stories that I can teach you about. We're building this house on truth that is obeyed. Listen, truth that is obeyed brings solid foundation. Truth that is discussed, talked about, brings destruction. And that's why you can watch ministry by ministry. Some last, some don't last. People by people in church, some last, some don't last. Why? Everybody heard the word. Some obeyed it. So when the rains came, their house stayed. Because they were built on a solid rock of obedience. Others knew the stories, knew the Bible, heard the Bible. But when the rains came, their world came tumbling down because they were built on sand. Because they were foolish. What made, them, what made the one man foolish and the other man wise? Obedience or not obedient or not obeying. Obey or not obey. God has commanded us to reach and to teach. Reach everybody with Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Go tell the story. Go tell everybody Jesus beat death, and you can too. And then when they get converted, you teach them everything you know about the Bible. But you obey what you know. Because to be able to talk about Scripture that you're not living it brings destruction. See, we've got to learn the Word, love the Word, and live the Word. You can learn the Word without living the Word. That's going to create destruction. You can learn the word. You can even say you love the word. But if you don't live the word, Jesus said, you're like a foolish man. Built your house on the sand. When the rain comes, it's going to fall. Let me tell you what's going to happen to some people's life, to some people's churches. Because I believe we're in the last days. And the rain is coming. Struggle. Hard times. Lack, financial difficulty, declining memberships, trouble is going to come. Some going to last because they're built on a solid rock. I want to encourage you to build your life on a solid rock. Build your life. Listen, we think that rock is Jesus, and in many ways he is. But in this context, that rock is obedience. 
don't just know what the Scripture says. Obey what the Scripture says. You got to learn the Word. You got to love the Word. You got to live the Word. We've been commanded by Jesus to teach the world about Him and His command. We can't teach anybody else until we learn something to teach them. So we need to be learners. I hope you'll commit yourself to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not saved, all you need to do is call on the name of the Lord. He said he'd save you. If you'd ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive you. And then you can become a disciple too. Some of you know you're saved, but you ain't been living right. You just need to ask God to forgive you. You need to get on with the getting on. Because there's a lost and a hurting and a dying world out there, and the only answer for them is Jesus. And we need to get a greater commitment to this great commission. We need to get serious about seeing people converted and taught. Reach and teach. Reach and teach. Reach and teach. That's the church's job. You got a place of assignment. You have a a neighborhood you live in, a city you live in, a world you dwell in. You have a school you go to. You have a job you work on. You have a bus you ride. You have people in your sphere of influence. It's your job to reach them with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's your job to teach them everything that he's commanded. Let's get busy doing what God has called us to do. Because if all we do is hear the Scripture and talk about the Scripture when the rain comes, Jesus is going to say you were foolish because you built your house on the sand because you did not do what the Word said to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for always being obedient. You never change. You never fail. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I thank you for each person who's come today, and I pray that you would help us to choose wisdom. God, there's so many people that know your stories, but they don't obey your commandments. So many people that know your stories but have no desire to follow your commands. God, teach us to love you more. Teach us to be more faithful, God. Teach us to humble ourselves and to walk in obedience. Help us, God to be the men and the women that you've called us to be. God, I pray for every person in this room, Lord. If there are any who are not saved, I pray you pour your love out on them and show them who you are. For everyone who truly is saved, God, I pray that you'd give us a greater commitment to the Great Commission, that we would go out and reach the lost and teach the saved as you've commanded us to do. Thank you for your instruction, God. Thank you for your book. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.